Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 278, uh, the July 1991 issue on sale May 7th of 1991, cover price of a dollar. This one's titled The Battle The Battle of Muir Isle. Right. It's not a part of the title. No, I, I would expect not. This begins the hotly collected and celebrated Muir Island Saga trademark. This is also spoilers up front. The last Chris Claremont solo issue. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, because Jim Lee is not a part of this particular story. It's just yep. Chris Claremont and Paul Smith is the guest penciler. Going way back. Yeah. Um, but this cover must also be a Paul Smith, a PMS, if you will, original mm-hmm. of Rogue in a pit fighting Guido. It's all right. It's okay. The interior art is much better than this cover. <laughs> Surrounding these two fighting in their pit is a bunch of Muir Island mutants. Uh, I see Amanda Sefton, and I see Multiple Man. Uh, everybody else, to me, is mostly indistinguishable. Agreed. I don't <laughs> even see Amanda Sefton. Well, I'm just assuming she's to the left of Multiple Man. Okay. She could also be above Guido's right bicep. So she's in there twice. Maybe. She must be casting a spell. Yeah. Because what other women are on Muir Island? You've got Lorna Dane, um, Moira McTaggart, Amanda Sefton. Is Lorna Dane there? Well, the issue, I thought she wasn't there. The issue is going to make it sound like she's not, but the, okay. I feel like the last time we saw her, Legion had like trapped her in a room or something. Banshee's daughter. Oh, that's right. Maybe one of these. One of these is definitely. Maybe the one to the to the right of Multiple Man is uh, Siren. Speaking of Siren, and let, I want to I want to get your uh, thoughts on this. I was at. I was at Target the other day. Okay. And I was looking at the uh, the Marvel Legends action figures. Yes. And there was a bunch of sirens because nobody wants to buy them. Correct. And one of them had the wrong head. Oh. And I, I couldn't tell. Like, it looked like a sort of Jean Grey head or something. Um, or maybe like a Rachel head. Sure. It was, a, it was a red head. And I couldn't identify it. I'm just wondering, is that valuable? Or or do you think it's somebody replaced the head? It's a great question. I mean, it didn't look like it was opened. That's a really good question. So I try to put myself in that position if I'm sitting there at the, at the target, I assume, right? Or is that what you said? Yeah. yeah Wherever, yeah. yeah. So, and I'm looking through because there's always, uh, for a while, there was a bunch of Dazzlers that were just like sitting there. And it was the 70s Dazzler. And I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. Uh, but I never bought one because there was a bunch of them sitting there. And I'm like, eh, they're kind of expensive. They are 25 bucks, which is... Yeah, that's... Man, toys are crazy now. It's not inexpensive. So had I have had the wherewithal to thumb through all of them and identify one having the wrong head, how many sirens are we talking about? Like, were there five or were there like 10? Somewhere between five and 10. Okay. I'd say there was six or seven, but there was there was only one yeah. with the wrong head. I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one, Adam. I looked online to see if there was anything about it, like if this was a known misprint, if this was something that was uh, already had some acquired some sort of value or hotness. There was nothing. I don't. So 
Part of me says I would have been inclined to buy it, but most of me says I would just not have looked through all of them to even <laughs> make that connection that there was a difference. It was not the one in the back. It was one in the front. Okay. So I didn't have to look far. I just looked. It was like there were two there, and they had different heads. And I was like, what is going on here? Okay. And so I examined some more of them, and they all had the same head, but this one had a different head. So if it had not been like out front, I probably would not have noticed it. Yeah, I had done my little eBay research, my internet research to figure out like well, if and maybe if I couldn't figure out if anything was going on. That's a hard one to say. So a, a buddy of mine many years ago when the Power of the Force Star Wars toys came back out. So we're talking, I don't know, 98, 99 time frame. He just decided, like, I wanted all these as a kid, so I'm just going to buy all of them now. So he just, like, right at the beginning of that toy line bought a bunch of those. And so he had all the, like, short saber, long saber, like, all those crazy variants that went along with the power of the Force. Uh, some of those had, you know, crazy value. Others didn't. And then I think now in 2022, nobody cares, <laughs> even if you have any of the variants. But one of the coolest ones he had that I think he kept, because I think ultimately he sold all of them, was for some reason there was a Han Solo, but he was upside down in his package. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of like, well, how did that happen? And so uh, he bought that. I don't know. And you look it up, and as far as I'm aware, there's no, like, oh, 10% of the batch was printed upside down. Yeah. Um, is it one of a kind? Probably not. Uh, but is it so rare and so far off of people's um, uh, radars that it's just not really worth much? Um, you know, possibly. I know when I was big into toy collecting, I would go to the toy store or toy fairs, and any Star Wars uh, uh, package that was even had like a slight misprint, um, I would buy, um, ultimately to find out that there was really no value to them. <laughs> but they were neat, right? So I had, remember, yeah. uh, there was a um, uh, Leia and, there was Leia two packs for a while. And it was like Leia and Han, Leia and Wicket, Leia and Luke. Um, one of them was, I think, Leia with Wicket, but the label on it was Leia and Luke. And I was like, oh, that's neat. And mm. I bought that. Uh, and as far as I'm aware, I mean, I sold it for basically what I paid for it. So yeah. as far as I'm aware, there was no no value to it. So tough to say. Is it going to be super valuable? I'm going to say probably not. Probably uh, not. And and as far as like interest goes, it has no like – I'd have to explain it to anybody who saw it. It's like, why do you have this random siren character? Well, you see, that's <laughs> the wrong head. <laughs> right. And so that's where it becomes if you're like a huge siren fan or if you can positively identify that head and be like, oh, that's Jean Grey and I love Jean Grey. Yeah. Then it has meaning to you. You can hang it up on the wall. Somebody asks, like, why do you have that? You could either be like, I don't know, I like Siren. Or you could go into the story of like, well, you see, as you just said, uh, depending on the level of interest of the person that's there. So that's a, I don't know, that's a tough one, Adam. Well, I didn't buy it. It's probably gone now. <laughs> or not, because nobody wants those action figures. That's true. <laughs> so... Well, anyways, let's uh, let's pop this guy open here. In the grip of the Shadow King. And on the first page, we get no perverts allowed. Uh, the Shadow King. AIDS is God's punishment. Yes. <laughs> so the Shadow King here is just talking about how easy it is to, I think, exploit hate and prejudice and all that sort of stuff. So the humans or the people already more or less have this kind of sitting in the back of their mind. 
Uh, and I think the Shadow King is just exacerbating that. I feel like that's what we're getting out of this page. Yep. And the next page. Just pushing them a little bit. We get uh, various wars throughout history on the next page. And he kind of takes a little bit of not so much credit, but he's definitely gotten some sort of uh, some sort of thrills out of this, some sort of energy, perhaps. In the third panel, all the X-Men are dead. And there is a silhouette, which I want you to zoom in on and tell me what is going on in this silhouette. <laughs> so the, uh, you're talking about the silhouette of the dude above Wolverine? Yeah. Well, Adam, what I think is happening here is it's a man because I can see his legs. Uh-huh, he's wearing uh-huh, a very, I agree. Yep, he's got, he's got a very puffy shirt. I'm going to work my way up here. He's got a very puffy <laughs> shirt. He's got a left arm, which is relatively normal. It's a little skinny, but again, it's a silhouette against fire. And I think he's just kind of like pointing out. Now, he is a mutant, so his uh, his his left arm has actually mutated into a woman's ar- or leg, rather. Okay. Or a giant turkey leg. <laughs> um, so that's what's going on on that side of his body. And as you work your way up, um, he's like, uh, he's like Bib Fortuna from, from Return of the Jedi, where he's got that little spirally thing going around his head, uh, and very puffy hair. So I think it's a picture of a woman jumping on a man, but it's in silhouette. So I'm not sure why we're getting a picture of a woman jumping oh. on a man in silhouette. Actually. I agree with you that that is a woman's leg, but I think the upper part, which you called the head, has two arms poking out of it, and I think that's a woman. Okay. Um, at first, zoomed all the way out, it looks like a dude with a guitar getting ready to play a concert. <laughs> well, the guitar's facing the wrong direction. <laughs> like he has to spin it over so he can start playing it, which would be a cool move, I guess. Well, you know, he's like Jimi Hendrix. He's a uh, right left-handed guitarist. Oh, that, okay, that makes sense. So, uh, and then I zoomed in, and I was like, what is going on here, and why? The problem... Uh, you might be right. Uh, the problem is, is that the thigh of the woman's leg is really fat, and then yeah. the, the butt is like, boom, sticking like way out. Which is why I did not immediately think that it was a woman jumping onto a man. But you know, all that being said, the the top is definitely, well, it could very well be a woman sort of like holding her hair back with her other arm kind of grasped onto whoever this person is. It made me wonder if this is possibly two people. Maybe it could also be three people. Who knows? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I I, uh, I wish uh, Paul Smith would come back and and like fully develop this this creature he has created. And it is Put actually some context into it. Yeah. Well, it's just one creature actually. Um, and at the end of issue one of whoever this character is, we get a full reveal of what's happening. <laughs> and uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. Yeah. Maybe maybe this starts off his uh, his Cthulhu comic. <laughs> Could be. So yeah, that's, that's an interesting uh, observation there. Yeah, I, I think it was more of like I didn't know what was going on, and I still don't. So we get more more Shadow King stuff. Talks about how evil and how he's going to rule, and uh, Leon, his servitor, I guess. Whoever she is, we've met her before, haven't we? we? We've met her. She's yeah. been she's been throughout this whole Shadow King storyline. She's kind of been there. Was she the police officer, or was she a doctor or something? I don't recall who she was initially. I don't know that we've ever seen 
her initially. You're probably right we have, but I certainly don't remember. Okay. I feel like she was attached to the Storm story when Storm came back as a child. Yeah, Which was quite a while ago. And that's the problem. That's my overall problem with this whole Muir Island thing is Chris Claremont in his prime, and maybe we're just getting out of his prime, was able to have a story going on while weaving in the next story so that you just keep that serialization going and you keep collector's interest and then you read something like, oh, I remember this from two issues ago. This whole Muir Island thing has been going on for ever <laughs> uh, at least 10 issues because i think that that storm issue is is like 268 time frame part of me wonders if a lot of the shakeups are causing it to be less that could be so chris claremont had an idea for a story and they're like well jim lee's going to be involved and we got to do all this other stuff like, but 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 shadow king i want to shadow king yeah, put yeah. It on old chris Fine. everything gets kind of pushed aside and becomes less clear yeah I've been setting this up forever. I wrote that backstory in Classic X-Men. Don't you remember? Yeah. Leon brings up Charles Xavier as the only person that the Shadow King has been unable to defeat, which upsets the uh, Shadow King. And he talks about how he needs to beat the X-Men, but rather than beat them, I'm going to break them, which is classic villain flaw. <laughs> right. Just Just kill them. Yeah. Better by far to break them my my to my yoke, Leon, as I did you, than their that their mentor may witness the contamination of light by shadow, the supplantation of his dream with mine. I agree. Classic villain problem. Like don't deal with your nemesis. Just go yeah, cause just the chaos that you need to cause. Kill him. Yeah, I if, just kill if, him. if you have the opportunity, kill him. Yeah. If you don't, just try to avoid them. Yeah, try to avoid them and cause your chaos. Meanwhile, at Ray, RAF uh, Ruthimir in the heart of England, apparently the X-Men's Blackbird has been in storage and under the care of Excalibur. So, Raph Ruthimir, I thought it was a person. I think RAF is Royal Air Force. Oh, in no, England. you're right. Yes, I am. So, right. Her Majesty, okay. No, okay. So, I was, I was just way off. Yeah, when I, when I said, I think... RAF stands for Royal Air Force. I was just being polite. Politely saying, Adam, you're completely wrong. No, I think I am wrong. Um, I think I think I skimmed this, and <laughs> uh, and I think that's, that's what happened. Gotcha. Okay. Well, you're not – I don't think you're wrong, Adam. You're, you're wrong. You're just plain out I know. Wrong. This is one of those things where you need to assert your dominance over me. <laughs> So go go ahead. Okay. Get over with. Let's Good. move on. I mean, as, lo- as long as we're clear, <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, I don't get many victories, so the ones I get, um, I take and I celebrate. <laughs> and they're all over me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Take them where I can get them. Anyways, so yeah, the, the Blackbird's been in storage. Um, and something's going on. There's an alarm and someone's uh, invading it. And we get a lot of people talking about how someone's invading it. Without actually seeing the person that's invading it until the next page. I feel like the last time we saw, when do you think the last person, or last time we saw Blackbird was, the Blackbird? Uh, wasn't there like a mini Blackbird in the Kings of Pain? Yeah, that that, was, that, that might have been the new, new Warriors Blackbird. Everybody's got a Blackbird. Yeah, I don't know. No idea. Okay. I was definitely not keeping track of 
the last time we saw the Blackbird. Why do you think Excalibur would be having it? Well, I, oh, I guess I guess the X Men are dead, right? Yeah, but so Kitty probably figured it was hers. Kitty or Nightcrawler, and I, I feel like maybe there was a story of one of them, Kitty or Nightcrawler, going down to Dallas to go collect the Blackbird because that's the last time that they would have used it. They would have flown from Westchester to Dallas to do the Fall of the Mutants thing. The last time I remember seeing the Blackbird was when they were loading up Nightcrawler's uh, inert body right into it. And so that would be before that. Yes. Anyways, I, I was just surprised of like, for some reason, Chris Claremont or Paul Smith, one of the two, decided that we're going to need a lot of story about how does... And this is so stupid, right? Because the man in the armor, immediately I'm like, well, it's the professor. <laughs> so I'm like, right. who, yeah. wh- who cares? Like, why is he wearing this this shiny gold armor? And it's it a good question. It looks very Shi'ar. So immediately I'm like, well, it's not like Shi'ar trying to steal the Blackbird. It's, it's the professor. Yet we go, I don't know how many pages through this book before he takes his mask off. He's like, oh, it's great to be back in my plane or whatever the hell he says. I'm like, this is really a waste of time yeah it seems like it's done because when we first cut to mural mural isle there's a line about how rogue currently the only remaining x-men left on earth has journeyed after leaving the savage land so i don't i don't know if those two things are connected that they were just like we don't want to we don't want to play our hand yet that the x-men are back but but this is the X-Men, like, and we know that they they just wrapped up that whole Shi'ar adventure, and they're definitely coming back to Earth. So this whole issue is, like, written so that the audience is like, ooh, what's happening? And where is everybody? But we know because of how comic storytelling works that, like, the X-Men are back on the planet. We don't need to see how they got back on the planet. We also don't need to see how the professor ends up uh, with Blackbird. We certainly don't need so many pages, like five pages of him, like, he sneaks in, and he gets in the plane, and then he gets shot, but he's got his armor, and he's okay, and then he uses his telepathy, and as soon as they said telepathy, I'm like, well, it's definitely the professor at that point, getting on the yeah. plane, and, oh my gosh, the Blackbird, uh, it's it's responding to whoever that man is, that's so rare. My plane, my security system, if it recognizes no one else, it will me. Voila. So... Initially, I was thinking this is either the since, since you have the telekinesis, the tele- telepathy, it's mm-hmm. either it's either uh, Psylocke or the professor. Sure. Uh, then when he gets in the airplane and it, it starts it up, I was like, oh, it's got to be the professor. Right. Yeah. And then some they're tracking the plane and it goes into stealth mode, so they lose it. And now we're on page uh, nine. <laughs> this feels like a like a bit from a movie where. They're they're trying to do this like weird setup where you just see a man in a mask. But in the movie, since we just started in the movie, you're not even sure who the main characters of the movie are. You just see a character in an, in like armor, and you're like, oh, this must be this will come into play later. Exactly. So we're seeing what this person does. The armor will come into play later, or the airplane is required for some special uh, thing later in the movie. So that's why we're going to do a lot of uh, s- stuff on this. Or earlier in the movie, like. We see the the airplane, or we know how the airplane got captured, and it's under surveillance, and they're trying to take it apart to discover all the secrets of it. So we got to get in there so we can get away, so they don't lose our learn our secrets. But this is just like 
oh, by the way, Excalibur has the plane and it's in this hangar. Oh, and somebody is here to steal it, who is obviously the professor. I don't mind it happening. I just, yeah, I wish it had taken two pages instead of five. Yeah, I don't even think it's necessary. Okay, it's four pages. It's a lot of different panels, though. I think it's just the X-Men. You just show the X-Men on the Blackbird and Wolverine's like, hey, Professor, how'd you get this? And he's like, well. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure why the Professor needs to steal his plane. Seems like much to do about nothing. Couldn't he just walk in and be like, this is my plane? Well, couldn't he call... (laughs) Well, through comic contrivance, of course, he could probably try to call Excalibur, but they're on a mission, so they can't respond to him. Uh, but none of that is explained of, like, why we need to do this whole cloak and dagger theft of the airplane. And why does he need to wear the armor? Uh, yeah, it's clearly just for the audience. And I, this whole scene is just kind of a mystery scene for the audience, because in, real, in realistic comic book parlance, the professor would just walk in and go, mind wipe. Yeah. I'm the professor. Mind wipe. Taking my plane back. Stand down. Stand down. Uh, You you don't see me. (laughs) I'm the professor. You don't even see what's happening. You can't even recognize that there's a person walking on by you. Uh, Yeah. And you don't even remember this airplane. And and I'm off. Although he does reference that there is a cloud over the sort of psychic spectrum. Yeah. Which he. Uh, There's an intense static storm across the whole of the psychic spectrum. The disruption increases exponentially the farther away from myself I try to scan. Which he, is shot. he says is uh, probably the Shadow King's doing. Yeah. So the Shadow King seems to have a cloud almost over the entire world, which I guess, you know, that's valuable information. So bring this down to a one page, mention that, have him just walk in, maybe move this to later. Or move so that, move that to... whole... Move that whole uh, Shadow King psychic um, thing to the beginning uh, to give us a better explanation of why he has to do this whole sneaky thing. I don't know. Anyways, there's a lot. Or point out maybe the maybe the armor is helping him hide from the Shadow King. Oh, sure. Once he gets inside the plane, he can take off the helmet because the plane is now hiding him from the Shadow King. I don't know. Yeah, but anyways, back on Mirror Island, Rogue is here. Showed up, I guess, and uh, she is in a um, fighting pit, and she's fighting Guido, and uh, Moira McTaggart is is up there doing sort of the thumbs up, thumbs down, or whatever role that is, overseeing the fights, and I guess we learn that this is sort of their version of the danger room. And now every time I see Moira, I just start thinking about how she's a mutant and has these (laughs) world-changing powers. And if I was the Shadow King and I had taken over Moira Tagger, I'd be like, wait a minute. Yeah, there's a lot of potential here. <laughs> yeah. I can cause all sorts of trouble. I can basically like... I can rebuild the world. Yeah. In my in my vision, I could take her, I could set her aside, and I can basically hold the entire fabric of reality hostage uh, by talking to the professor and being like, look, Prof, I know what's happening. I know what Moira is capable of. So here's what I'm going to need you to do for me. Otherwise... It's over. And we're going to start yeah. all over again. And for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the podcast that we do on Patreon where we're discussing the latest uh, issues of the X-Men in which, uh, spoilers, we find out that Moira is a mutant. Yeah. Which, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's revealed pretty quick. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, they, they're they're fighting. Um, Rogue beats Guido. 
There's a lot of bloodlust from the audience. Uh, Madrox is there. Hit her again, Guido. We want to see pain. We want to see blood. Yeah, they're all clearly sort of uh, influenced by something. Even Rogue is kind of like, oh, man, I usually pull my punches, but all I wanted to do was just hit him as hard as I could and hit him harder and harder and harder. But she's sort of conflicted of like, man, I, that's not a thing I usually do. This is weird. I feel weird. I'm going to go take a shower. But it feels good. Right. Hey, we get to see um, the the two people on Mirror Island that we haven't seen in a while, whose names I can't remember. Yeah, they're helping out Guido. Who, who are those people? Uh, Su- Sher- Susan and Sharon Friedlander. Sharon Friedlander. And I don't remember. And that guy. And the, <laughs> the guy I mean, that's always paired with Sharon Friedlander. Yes. He's of uh, Native American descent. But didn't they turn into Native Americans during a New Mutants story? Oh, Lord. You might be right. I don't remember. I don't think they started out as Native Americans. but I feel like he was a cop or something. And yeah, he, he was got, like a like a security guard or something like that. Got caught up in the adventure. I don't remember. I don't recall entirely either, but Tom. it's nice to see them. I'm going to go with Tom. Okay. And he just has one name, just Tom, no last name. Tom Vlagenmir. Perfect. <laughs> so back on the blackbird the professor's like oh nobody's pursuing me because of my cloaking system so now it's time to take off my helmet oh surprise so much for it's charles me. and javier's vaunted reputation as the planet's most foremost telepath i'm back he did get shot uh his armor protected him but he's got some bruises on his chest there was a storm that rolled in to to provide cover which we all obviously knew what Storm's doing, and now we get confirmation. Yeah. She's like, so it's again, I just like this whole mystery is set up, but it's not a mystery to anybody but the comic book uh, <laughs> characters who we don't care about. They don't lend anything to the story. We, as the reader, unless unless you're brand new, this is the first comic book you've ever read. Then you're like, ooh, what's happening? Yeah, but no, none of it would pay off. <laughs> well, I mean, you you find out that Storm caused the storm. So that that's sort of neat. Oh, those are what her powers are. Cool. Yeah, but the whole airplane thing is basically like, how do the X-Men get their airplane back uh, and use it to fly to Muir Island? Which They use it to fly to Muir Island and then the professor uses it to fly to per the Xavier's school. Yeah. Who cares? So, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, he does say uh, that the Shadow King is super powerful. And and possibly more powerful than himself. This is kind of like a less interesting version of how Boba Fett got out of the Sarlacc pit. <laughs> like, nobody ever asked the question. Nobody cares. Yet, we get a lot of background on how the X-Men get their plane back and where they go with it. You gotta, you gotta fill pages. I guess. Um, just, just, just let it go, man. It's right, time right. to move on. <laughs> I, I'm gonna. I, I'm not gonna remember this conversation, but I'm gonna say that by the time we get to like X Men One and then the Gold and Blue team, we're gonna have new planes. We're not even gonna have a Blackbird anymore. It's quite possible. I don't remember, but that's my prediction. We might have more than one Blackbird. I think there's no Blackbird. We have two teams now. It's you don't be, think there's any Blackbird? No, it's gonna be like. Does the Blackbird get destroyed? No, it'll just be like, oh yeah, there was a Blackbird. And it'll come back in like 50 issues. They're like, remember the Blackbird? Here it is. Cool. Anyways. The professor is shot and uh, just smarts. 
because I guess the armor protected him to a Well, he's not degree. freshly shot. He's shot back during that heist that was unnecessary. And he's pulling back right. his shirt to look at the bruises. So his armor did come in handy because I he, guess he didn't die. He says his, I guess it was a combination of the armor and his telepathy. So the his whole point, again, powers. the whole point is that the professor is like, for some reason, the only person who can get past the Blackbird security system. But in the pages of the X-Men, we've seen every X-Men fly it, with or without the Professor. So yeah. why wouldn't you send Wolverine in? He, he's he got the stealthy background. Uh, he's got a healing factor. I, I'm, I, I have no problem with sending the <laughs> Professor in because he seems like the person that could do it the easiest. He just mind wipes everybody and gets in and... If you're not going to be able to use the mind wipe power or you can't use the mind wipe power, then you're basically sending you're basically sending in the most fragile person to do this work. <laughs> <laughs> well, he keeps saying, you know, I can take care of myself. I'm I, uh, I'm trying to show everybody that I'm a tough guy. Let's go with that. This comic book is trying to show off that the professor is tough now. And then the only thing I can think about now, because I know how X-Men number one starts, is this whole Muir Island saga is going to be how do we get the professor back into his wheelchair and make it float? Because <laughs> right now he's walking and he's walking under his own power because what was he cloned or Shi'ar technology fixed his uh, back or something? Something. Yeah, like I that. think I think he was sent into a different body that yeah walks and stuff. Well, I mean this. So this this I'm assuming the the Muir Isle saga is going to be primarily about the professor. And as you say, it will probably end with him back in a wheelchair. Yep. So we were kind of starting it with the professor. Okay, and, that's uh, fair. That's fair. I guess. You know, it's it's for for whatever for even even though it doesn't entirely make sense that he would be the one to do that. Is this is this is the professor's story? So the okay. professor's going to do all the things that normally he wouldn't do, and we're probably going to spend more time with him than we normally would. So the payoff like five, four, four pages of this whole heist is that he was able to take care of himself. He could be somewhat of an action hero, but ultimately yeah. he's going to end up crippled and in his chair. We're redefining the professor for this arc. Perfect. Okay, great. So they uh, he picks up the X-Men, they land on Muir Island, and then he's like, I got to go to the mansion. Yeah, <laughs> see you guys. Check out Muir Isle. Let me know what's going on. Uh, I got to go find X-Factor as right. well. And then we have some conversation of like, well, it sounds like X Factor's dead, and the X Professor's like, sounds like you died in uh, in Dallas as well. So X Factor's probably still alive. There's a ton of references to other issues, which I feel like Chris Claremont is just like racking them up right here. So I'm going to reference this issue and this issue and this issue. Sure. My legacy ending. I'm just going to keep uh, reminding everybody about it. Do you think, as he's writing this issue, he knows that like this. This is it, and he's going to go on to write X-Men 1? I would imagine by now he has to know, because in the next issue, he's co-writing it with Fabian Nicieza, so unless, I who knows how that went down. Right. Maybe he wrote it, and Fabian Nicieza was like, okay, rewrite this. Yeah, I'm going to do Chris a pass. Like, and wait, wait a minute. <laughs> all this stuff I set up. Don't worry, Chris, we'll give you, we'll you X-Men 1 through 3. Well, I have to imagine that Chris Claremont thinks at this point like he's just going to transition over to x-men one and maybe help out with uncanny x-men 
I'm just curious if by the time X-Men number one has been released, if he knows, well, I got two more in my contract and I'm done, or if at the end of issue three, they're like, thanks, bye. I got to imagine he knows at this point, but I don't, I, who knows? Yeah. Well, anyways, Rogue is taking this is, a... Sh- this is what, only only three months out from X-Men 1? Yeah. So he's he's got to know. Yeah, he's got six months. I mean, I, I don't know. If you had six months left at a job like this, wouldn't you just be like, whatever, <laughs> just phone it in? Oh, maybe. I mean, maybe that's why the professor is doing all the adventuring, because he's phoning it in. Oh, no, there's a lot of words in this issue. I don't think Chris Claremont's <laughs> phoning anything in. <laughs> He's got to put in all his references. Yeah, yeah. DC is going to need to see these words. You know, I found out that uh, so everybody at everybody leaves to start Image, and then Jim Lee does Wildcats. And I think starting with Wildcats issue number nine or ten, Chris Claremont starts writing. And then I thought, wow, that's he starts that's writing. Interesting. He starts writing for Wildcats. Yeah. Oh, weird. I never knew that because I never made it that far in the Wildcats collection yeah i never made it past issue one i think i bought four of those but yeah i got i don't i don't i don't know that he writes it for much longer because i think there's only 12 issues sure but i think he writes the last few issues well it could be jim lee nice i mean jim lee was like hey chris sorry about how everything went yeah you want to write some wildcats some big money yeah well he's probably like like, yeah he probably matured a little bit and he's like you know what there is actually something difficult about writing, and I know a guy who actually did a pretty good job, and I didn't, didn't really recognize that. Maybe. That said, I have no idea if those issues of Wildcats are any good, no. and I suspect they're probably not. Rogue has taken a shower, and she's, uh, I think she's, like, kind of, like, huddled on the ground in one frame, but in the next frame, she's standing up getting her towel. It's a very odd transition, but either way, uh, she's... She's looking at her hands like, oh, I was punching him and beating him and punching him. And everybody was cheering and I loved it. But it was also obscene. So she's very conflicted about what's happening. And so she wipes away from some steam from the mirror. Uh, and that's when she sees the Shadow King and I believe falls under the um, uh, complete influence of the Shadow King and starts making out with his ghostly apparition body. That's a choice. Sure. It's kind of strange. But okay, I think it's a uh, uh, um, it's the word I'm looking for, uh, symbolic. Yeah, I, it's, giving in to the Shadow it's, Kings. It's it's yeah okay. I don't know. Rogue's always kissing somebody. Girl in a towel making out with a shadow man. Yeah, well, she's under the influence. <laughs> So back on the Blackbird, I guess this is really why we needed the Blackbird, because Forge has made some Silverhawk wings for everybody, and uh, uh, it's really dumb. It's uh, it's fun. I like the Jubilee stuff where she's like, oh, no, I don't want to do this. And then she gets out and she's like, this is fantastic. And then it looks like the word balloon on the bottom is Wolverine. So, wowie zowie, can we do it again sometime real soon, please? It it does look like that balloon is coming from Wolverine. I think <laughs> just the imagery of Wolverine in his blue and yellow togs with these electronic or, or gizmo wings holding on to Jubilee as he glides down. It's just silly. It's great, though. It's that's what comic books are all about. Silly stuff like this. Wolverine would never this do is, this. this. Is, 
This is completely unsafe for Jubilee. <laughs> yeah, no, Wolverine. Like, the wings I see maybe going on to Jubilee and Wolverine just jumping out with a parachute. Like, why aren't they just using parachutes? Why do they need these glider wings? Well, Forge built these devices, and Wolverine really doesn't want to upset Forge. I guess. So Gambit's trying to... He's still with Storm, and he's like, Hey, we should go steal some stuff. Remember how much fun we used to have doing that stuff? And she's yeah. Like, she's like, we're, we're good guys. We're the good guys now. Yeah, we can't do that. Or I guess the professor says, yeah, we're the good guys. Yeah. Uh, we get a little bit more of kind of Gambit's personality where he's like, yeah, this is a big game. And Storm is like, this is not a game. And Gambit's like, yeah, it is. This is the ultimate game where our lives are at stake. It's, yeah. Yeehaw. Au contraire, chérie. It's the ultimate <laughs> game. I guess. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so yeah, they, they I guess they glide to the ground and they're done with that whole sequence. And uh, Banshee's now sneaking around. Uh, I guess his former house, which basically is Moira's house. I was a policeman once, so this makes sense. Right. And I think you're right, Adam. Like Chris Claremont's just throwing in all the greatest hits of like, yeah. look, I remember all this stuff. Here's a bunch of here's a reference. Here's a reference. Here's a reference. And uh, they do talk about how Lorna. Like, things started changing as soon as Lorna arrived. By the way, where is she? Dunno. Yep. Back There's... in X-Men 254. Yeah, so this story's been going on for quite a while. And they he finds this, uh, like, Valkyrie-type armor, and I don't know what the deal of this is. A woman's armor, Moira's size, and her clan's tartan, the garb of a Highland chieftain, a claymore, the Scots' war sword forged for use not show these nicks are fresh so oh. she's been using it so she's also training with everybody and she's had this armor forged so that she can compete i guess with the rest of the mutants there's some weird stuff about how uh banshee noticed that moira uh was getting really passionate and at first he didn't mind yeah and because it was like maybe he thought he thought it was like a because their relationship was better than hers and Charles. Right. Maybe maybe a little hotter in the bedroom, I'm thinking. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But then it got then it got kind of out of control. And then it got kind of gross, and he was like, I thought I was a prude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's fun stuff. That's how we know we're in the 90s. We're, we're uh, um, talking about sex. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so Psylocke is also sneaking around. Um, she's just like, hey, if anybody wanted to know where the island's population is, I know they're fighting in like a gladi- gladiator ring. They're still fighting. Legion shows up and knocks Storm out of the sky and also effectively knocks out Psylocke because she's still telepathically connected. Yep. Look at all these words. Yeah, I mean, there's so many words. Forge, Forge is also there and uh, I guess... 12 he- word balloons on a single panel, Adam. In a previous episode, he is the one who built the more the Murile security system, so he's able to easily break through it. Sure. That tracks. I like it. Okay. He says at some point, aren't I the greatest? He does. Which is fun. Seems out of character for Forge. It does, but I'll take it. Uh, I can't remember where, but he also does a little bit of flirting with uh, Storm and uh yeah he's uh when he's on his little skiff he says something like i'd like to take you out on one of these sometime and and she's uh she's receptive to him she's like now's not yeah. the time but maybe sometime which probably you know she has a little smile sure what whatever happened to the whole forge and gene storyline 
<laughs> Nothing. <laughs> that was manufactured out of nowhere and then immediately dropped. Wasn't that a Chris Claremont thing or was that not a Chris Claremont thing? I I don't remember. Feels feels like a Chris Claremont thing, but I don't remember. Yeah. I I don't know. But yeah, whatever it is, he's running out of time, so something's gotta gotta disappear. Right. Exactly. Gene's off in space, so there's nothing he can do about that. No. It was a dumb storyline anyways. Uh, so as Banshee is uh, sneaking around, he gets knocked out of the sky as well. And it's because of his daughter, Teresa Rourke Cassidy. Yeah, he tries to go after Psylocke to uh, to save. So he jumps out a window. <laughs> oh, he sees Storm falling to the, the ground. And he jumps out the window to try and save her. And he gets attacked by his daughter, who he falls into the water and surprises her by jumping out of the water, grabbing her by the leg. And then she's like, hey, daddy, don't. And he's like, wait, what a minute? What? What's going on? Is this the first time he's seeing her? Or I thought I thought she introduced herself to him at some point at the yeah. end of like an issue. She yeah. was like, hey, I'm your daughter. How's it going? I think this is this panel. Have you forgotten your own daughter, Banshee, Teresa Rourke Cassidy? I think that's more for the audience. Okay. Yeah. I don't think that's for Banshee's. Because I think he was just surprised by this whole thing. He's flipping around to go punch whoever the would-be attacker is. Oh, my God, it's my daughter. Pauses, and then she whacks him over the head with a rock. She hits him with a rock. Yeah. Man, that looks that looks like it hurts. He's out. Sure does. Shame on you, daughter. No, for letting your guard down. I don't, he didn't really let her guard down. You just were like, hey, I'm your daughter. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I guess, the definition of letting your guard down. I guess. Gambit's now sneaking around, but multiple man shows up, and uh, he says, Hey, uh, every time you hit me with one of your charged cards, I'm just going to turn into another person. How's that strike you? One to two, two to four, to eight, to 16, and so on. Does it work like that? I didn't think so. I thought he could just be like, okay, now there's more of me. But he yeah. goes and says, like, every time you hit me with a card, I split into another man. Uh, you know, maybe... Which would be a neat power set so that you have to actually take take some damage or like physically like run into a wall. But I'm pretty sure multiple man's just like, okay, there's six of me to help out with this task now. I think that's how he is now. Maybe they're still working on figuring his stuff out because we haven't seen a lot of multiple yeah. man other than a couple of uh, – he was in what? The, the Runaways or whatever that was? No, not the Runaways. The Fallen Angels. He was in that. Okay. That's probably the most we've seen him. If you say so. That was the only time he was doing something, I think. Otherwise, he's just been in the background. So then Jubilee is running around with a gorilla that has a Wolverine mask on. <laughs> oh, wait, that's supposed to be Wolverine. He's just crouching. He's being, it's, this is Wolverine in sneak mode. It's terrible. Can you see this action figure? Wolverine in sneak <laughs> mode. Uh, I guess. It's, it's pretty terrible, though. Is It's his, you know, he's he's getting into it. It's his animal side. It's like, oh, I'm hunched over like an animal. Uh, that was me hitting my microphone as I went to get my Wolverine in blue and yellow togs. So this exact character to see if I could pose him in in that. I don't think I can, Adam. It's a very odd pose. Oh, there he goes. That is a very, uh, if you can't do it, that is, that is a lack of consideration on the parts of the toy developers. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, didn't they not see this panel? Right. He, I thought he, he, <laughs> toy developers were supposed to re research and reference every panel. 
yeah. and make sure that they could do everything. Unfortunately, my my Wolverine's head doesn't move at that that basically ninety degree angle that his head is at, which would basically uh. mean his his head would be snapped. Um, <laughs> also, this character, this figure, is old enough that his claws uh, no longer stay retracted, so they're always out. Uh, but I can get close. I'll send you a picture later. Thanks. <laughs> Rogue uh, attacks Wolverine, and Wolverine almost immediately realizes she's bad now, which surprises Jubilee. She's like, wow, these guys are totally going berserk. It's a knockdown drag out. I got to stop them. I got to throw some fireworks in there. And then Amanda Sefton sneaks up on her. First, there's a bunch of eyes in the shadows, and then the lights come on, and it's Amanda surrounded with a bunch of demons. She's like, hey. Um, I hope you're going to be a challenge because I'm, I haven't had a good challenge in a while, little girl. <laughs> wow. Then we cut back to the professor who has landed at the school for gifted youngsters. And he is reminiscing about the stories that he's heard about what happened at the mansion by Mr. Sinister. And then he also Thinks back to the Sidri Hunters the last time that the thing. So it's, it's just like recaps. Recap City here. Yeah. Remember, remember the Sidri, Adam? Yeah. X-Men 10154. Yeah. It's uh, helpfully listed there for you. A car speeds up and there is a driver. And on top of the car, uh, there is a body. And uh, he doesn't know what's – he thinks the body initially is trying to stop the car. But the car tries to run him over and hits something and flips over and – Stevie Hunter emerges from the car. Stevie? Stevie Hunter? And the body on top of the car disappears for a minute. That's when the Shadow King confronts the professor and says, Hey, look who it is. It's me, your old friend, the Shadow King. Miss me, Charles? I've missed you. I've thought of little else over the years than the moment of our final meeting in my revenge. By the way, uh, here's a uh, astral projection of where the X-Men are right now. They're all dead. They're all dead. They've at least been dealt with, let's say. Right. They're all on the ground. They're all on the ground. They dragged them all together, I suppose. The Muir Island mutants are standing triumphant. No, 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 says Stevie. Or maybe, is that supposed to be the professor? I don't know. I don't know who's saying it. Let's go with the... Uh, it co- looks like it's coming from Stevie. Yeah. I don't know why she would. I mean, I guess she would. Be, she would legitimately be upset about this too. She likes these people. Yeah, they're they're friends of hers, except for Gambit. Yeah, and then uh, and Colossus shows up. Colossus emerges from the fire in a Terminator esque moment. Dun 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 dun. dun. And uh, yeah, he's under the sway of the Shadow King, which we knew from last issue because we left off with him confronting Stevie Hunter. As uh, oh, that's also right. under the sway of the Shadow King. I forgot about that. So this is sort of a continuation of that beat, I suppose. Your X-Men is mine now, body and soul. His orders are to rend Miss Hunter before your eyes, limb from lovely limb. I didn't warn you, my dear, of the terrible price of defiance. And then, old enemy, do the same to you. Bad to the bone. Next issue. Yep. I'm not a fan of this issue, Adam. It's very boring. I, I you know, it was fine. <laughs> it's not one of the greats, but it's not the worst one either. Lots of stuff is moving around. 
They're they're trying to wrap everything up quickly so that they can relaunch everything. Yeah. I just recall as I was going through, just trying to think of where I was in comics, I was probably buying these particular issues as back issues and probably just giving them a cursory read uh, and then just getting to the good stuff, right? The new Jim Lee stuff, the hotness. Mm-hmm. So this whole Muir Island thing, I, I vaguely recall it existing, but not really how it gets resolved. So it'll be a surprise. Does Jim Lee return for the next issue? I guess we'll find out in the next issue. Looks from the cover like he does. I can't wait. Yeah, it'll be the last Chris Claremont Jim Lee joint. Well, I guess no, it won't be. No. It'll be the last uncanny Jim Lee and Chris Claremont joint. And then it's going to be Will Sportacio taking over. So, let's uh let's let's keep the ball rolling here and and let's talk about New Warriors 12. But then we've got some letters to to talk about. We got we we compiled all the letters. So, there's a letter out there. We, we're going to probably do a condensed version of it. We, we probably got it. I've taken a lot of liberties with these letters <laughs> and condensed them down to bite-sized, delicious content. So, uh, New Warriors number 12. Yeah, we skipped this last episode for whatever reason, and uh, so we're catching up with it now. Um, it's fun. You know, <laughs> it's, it starts out pretty cool. You get the, the mutants... Uh, who are not the X Men? They're just some mutants. As they're... a quick as a quick reminder, because it's been a while for me. Uh, okay, it, this is a sort of a take on um, Days of Future Past, and it's called Forever Yesterday or something like that. Yeah, Forever Yesterday. This is part two of three alternate timeline in which very similar things to Days of Future Past are happening. Although I think this is actually a different uh, reality than Days of Future Past. Yeah, this is this is the present. But it's an alternate timeline. Right. And so you've got a team up here of Cannonball, Beast, Marvel Man, uh, Lady. Firestar. Firestar, Juggernaut, and Sebastian Shaw. And they are the Resistance or, or something like that. And they're trying to break into something for some reason. Uh, and the Avengers are now sort of Earth's protectors to, to keep down those dirty mutants. And so... They got to stay away from the Avengers. Very quick synopsis of what's happening. The the big twist is that African Americans are now, uh, oh yeah, in, that's right, in our culture where white people are, so they're more dominant. I forgot about that. Yeah, so Captain America uh, and I think Tony Stark, uh, all of them really. I think there's maybe just one white woman on this. No, it's Storm. So yeah, everybody's African American. Which has no no bearing on good versus evil. It just happens to be how this particular reality moved on. It's you know, it's a twist. It's it's a, it's a twist. I think it's you know, obviously a sort of a, a, a message on our current sort of well, system in well, the nineties. In the nineties, yeah. <laughs> racism in general, probably. But yeah. uh, I don't know how I feel about um, uh, Iron Man's flat top helmet, which I think is supposed <laughs> to re- resemble a typical 90s flat top black person's hairdo it is it is uh possibly offensive but it's also (laughs) it's also ridiculous enough that i think it's genius and i kind of love it just how just how ridiculous it is on the one hand from an offensive perspective i can absolutely see that like why would you do that but on the other hand it's like what if 
black culture was in this sort of position of power and it's the 90s, how would you make your helmet? And you're like, right. you know what? It would probably look like this yeah. <laughs> and have no offensiveness based around just because it's ridiculous. And, and why wouldn't you do it? And it's the 90s. So I think it's great. <laughs> Let's give it the benefit of the doubt and just say, like, you know, you know, it's only offensive out of context. Correct. Yes. In in context, it makes it makes perfect sense. It's clever. It's silly. It's the best part of comics. You know what doesn't make sense is Nova's helmet because his little uh, his little Avengers belt buckle goes off and he's like, "Ooh, I'm on call! Like, I better get my helmet on," which is like a little rag. But then when he puts it on his head, it turns into a firm helmet. I was trying to. I was. I saw that and I was wondering how would they do that in the MCU or in the uh, in yeah the MCU the no, yeah the, the MCU in the in the movies. So he'd have this like flimsy thing and then it'd go and then like turn from a, yeah. a cloth to some sort of armor. Yeah, it'd be like probably be kind of cool. Nanobot technology. And it would look really cool and you'd buy it because you've seen all the Iron Man movies and you're like, he can turn a watch into a whole suit of armor. Yeah. So anyways. He gets a call about those pesky mutants. Yeah, uh, the story is pretty simple. The mutants are trying to break into the city, which they have been banned from because that's the mutants are outlawed in this future or uh, in this present, this alternate reality. So they manage to break into the city through this gate that they temporarily dislodge because they have information from Reed Richards and uh, Night Thrasher's alternate reality, Night Thrasher's dad, who is Mr. Fantastic in this reality. Mm-hmm. Um it's kind of a fun scene where Juggernaut gets caught in the wall and still manages to make it through. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, whoa, that had caught any of us, we'd be dead. But you're Juggernaut. It's always fun to see Juggernaut doing stuff. Sure is. They make it in. Uh, the force field, as I mentioned, goes back up. So now their mission is to turn it off permanently. So they have to go find whatever it is. But they're immediately uh, found out. The Avengers know they're there immediately. Um, and they also know that the information who gave it to them. So we get a couple of scenes, uh, where we get Nova being told from some ghostly figure what the actual reality is, which I guess is a bunch of back issues of Nova. Right. Well, the ghostly figure is kind of like, you know, that this quite isn't right. You know, things are a little bit off and he's like, yeah, here's I, what's supposed to have happened. I guess you're right. And so then he joins the the team the mutant team starts fighting against his former comrades yeah well he has a confrontation with marvel man right who he for some reason knows and he's like wait a minute why do i know you right oh my god that that mysterious figure was right um meanwhile reed richards and uh night thrasher's dad i don't know his name but night thrasher is Dwayne, i think so yeah. Dwayne's dad uh, are all murdered and Dwayne is the only one who escapes, which, you know, got to do some new warrior stuff here too. Sure. Got to. You get a cool scene where Magneto and Emma go talk to uh, Namor. And in this reality, Namor didn't have any mixed blood. Oh. Uh, so he's, he's like a straight up Atlantean, all blue and stuff. Namorita too. You got to throw Namorita's like there. <laughs> they they name check her because this is the new warriors and she's on the team. Exactly. But she doesn't actually say anything. Nope. So they're probably going to be involved in the next issue. All of this is setting up to the next issue. Basically, yes. It is a classic part two of three. There's this neat story about this lady who 
fell in love with a man that she kind of just saw and then he just leaves like there's really no interaction and then she she grows old withers and dies uh all while pining for this man that she just saw once and then she's reborn um as a man and then kind of goes on through her life uh, and then eventually turns into a woman again very confused about that whole storyline it just seemed kind of neat as it was written out detailed uh but she's the big bad i think in this whole thing yeah and i think i think that storyline is what has happened in other comics in the Nova series, or maybe it's filling in the gaps of stuff that from the Nova series, I have no idea, but yeah, every time she dies, she gets reborn in another body and this goes on for centuries. And the thing that switched over the timelines is she finally got some sort of power where she could just reset everything to go back from the beginning so that she could have the chance to be with her man or the man that she had always wanted to be with. Oh, so she's Moira McTaggart? Sort of, but she doesn't reset reality. She, When she dies, she just gets reborn and remembers everything. Oh. So she, she gets sent in, she's like she gets reincarnated, but always as a human and not necessarily like in the same uh, culture or anything like that. It could be anywhere around the world, but she has all her memories of her previous life. But time continues going on. Nothing gets reset. You know it would be an interesting idea for a story? I'm, I'm basically stealing this and Quantum Leap. But what if you had the ability, uh, a story of a person who lives their life, has all these memories, uh, and they die and they're reborn. But instead of being just reborn, you could be reborn anywhere in time. So you're not really changing the timeline so much uh, as just retaining all of those memories. Uh, time's not resetting, but... You're just like, ah, oh, I'm alive in the 80s, oh, and I died a natural cause, and now I wake up in the 50s, and then I wake up in the 1800s, and then I wake up in the 2000s. I think there's a there's an idea there, sort of quantum leapy. Maybe you're solving some problems to, to keep the timeline as you remember correct. It's like Doctor Who meets Quantum Leap. Yeah, and this story. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, that just popped in my mind. So, you know, if anybody wants that idea, I'm available for uh, consulting and uh, pro- producer fees. Remember when Quantum Leap saved George Lucas? No. That's the only episode I remember. I, I, if, that is, if that episode exists, I want to go find it and watch it. I don't think he's ever referenced as George Lucas, but they end up getting a kid into a motorcycle accident so that he goes on to make amazing movies. Okay. Or not a motorcycle accident, but a race car accident. Like he wants to be a race car driver and he ends up getting into a race car accident and ends up making star Wars. Okay. But then I don't, I don't think they ever name checked George Lucas. Okay. Just heavily implied. Yeah. I mean, that's what happened to George Lucas. He makes the greatest movies. We got to save him. Yeah. Something like that. Sure. It's been a while. Anyways, uh, yeah, so they all fight uh, Magneto and a bunch of folks. Uh, Sc- Scalp Hunter is there. I just just realized that. What a random pull that is. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, why not? Yeah. With the help of Nova, uh, they are able to flip the switch that they need to flip the switch of, and that allows all of the other mutants to come in to the city, uh, Maquaman Island, I guess. And... Um, then as the mutants are all showing up, is Sandman a mutant? A Hulk is not a mutant. Sandman's not a mutant. Okay, so they're just, just heroes. Of, yeah, they're just going against people that are different. Let's go mut- mutants and, and classically uh, considered bad guys. 
Yeah. Although I think Sandman at this point is an Avenger, isn't he? Uh, yes. Yes. It looks like that's a uh, Sabretooth at the very bottom. Yep, Sabretooth. He looks like an off-colored Wolverine. Who's the man with the mullet and no shirt? I think that's Havoc. Okay, sure. Because he's got those little circles around him. I think you're right. And then above him must be Lorna Dane. Yep, yeah. She's right beside her father, Magneto. Who's the man? Is that Forge? (laughs) The man above above Magneto. I think that's Forge, but it looks like he's wearing Cyclops goggles. I feel like like it's Cyclops, just with like like a 70s puffy mullet hair thing going on. Yeah. Anyways, they're about to attack the the Sphinx in unison and solve the problem until somebody off panel says that won't be necessary. And it's a giant large lady that we've been talking about. It's the Sphinx. And right. She's giant now. And she's going to uh, she says, if you if you kill me, the it could very well mean the destruction of the entire planet. And it's a really good drawing. I like this drawing of the Sphinx. She mm-hmm. looks pretty cool. Mm hmm. Just knocking some stuff over Godzilla style. It's good. I like it. Next issue, everyone versus the Sphinx. I can't Atlantis wait. attacks. Night Thrasher is reborn. Nova faces his toughest decision ever. Lives of the New Warriors will never be the same again. So that brings us to our our letter section. It's been a while since we've done letters, Adam. I know. We had, had quite a few building up. Uh, why don't you kick us off? You You did all the work. Um, copy paste, uh, <laughs> Dustin Habel or Hebel writes and says, uh, so glad you guys are still going. The danger room remains my favorite podcast. So entertaining. If Kings of pain is any indication, the post Claremont era is going to be rough. Yep. I'm wondering. It should be, should be interesting. Uh, would you consider covering the X-Men forever after his original run ends? Yes, we will. Uh, however, that's probably going to be a Patreon exclusive. So get your dollars ready. Yeah, just a single dollar. And I think the way that we're going to try to do it is basically once we finish off X-Men number three, the following week or a couple of weeks, we will kick off with X-Men Forever 1, thus continuing that story in parallel. Exactly. Just one on Patreon. So so I've never read those. So I've I, never read them either. I've heard they're crazy. Prepared to be either super disappointed uh, or, or very uh, entertained. Well, either way, I'll probably be entertained. Almost. He he continues, almost every time I read a Hickman issue, I'm left wondering, what does this have to do with the X-Men? Just wanted to say thanks again for your great show. I'll be listening as long as you're making them. P.S. Hoping for the return of Gambit's I guarantee voice. (laughs) Well, Jonathan Hickman, we've discussed quite a bit on the Patreon as we've covered a lot of those issues. Uh, and I'll give him some benefit, uh, or some credit rather, uh, of the very beginning of his run is, in my opinion, boring and technical. Uh, <laughs> but it picks up and he, he does eventually get to a point where things are connected and, and somewhat, I'm somewhat engrossed in, in what's happening there. But yeah, I agree. What does this have to do with the X-Men? Well, it's, it's a new it's a new world. This is the X-Men now. So I'm sure in five years we'll all be back to what it was. So Probably. don't don't worry about it. Close shave shave your shesh. Uh at the eight twenty four mark did Jeremy say Dazzler and Longchart? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, so this is in reference to that three part Marvel superheroes story. He places it between issues two thirty and two thirty one of Uncanny X Men. 
Remembers at the end of 2.30, Wolverine gifts Dazzler with a motorcycle for Christmas. I remember that. Yep, yep. That yep. Christmas special. Yep. Uh, long shot suggests to Dazzler that they take a road trip with the bike and it's applied. They ride off on it. So that's okay. so when they're saying, let's we got to wait for long shot and Dazzler to get back. Maybe that's it. I'm buying this. Sure. Why, why not? Works for me. Better than anything I came up with. <laughs> yeah, that aspect fits the continuity shown in the Marvel hu- superheroes seasonal specials. For all the perceived irrelevance of the B-side material, I'm glad this Sentinel story exists. So am I. Me too. The yep. Outback era is my favorite era of the team, and that era has a finite number of adventures. This three-parter was one that I had never read before, and I probably never would have if you guys didn't cover it. <laughs> Was it ultimately that important to the main series? Nope, but it did give me another opportunity to spend some time with that team, so definitely a hidden gem for me. Sure, yeah. As a bonus, it made me go back and revisit 2.30. Uh, I'll be damned if it's not one of the top 10 or 15 greatest single issues of X stories, X-Men stories I've ever read. Next time Marvel does a reprint of the X-Men's Christmas-themed stories, I hope they decide to include that one. Boy, I, I don't know if I can agree with that. <laughs> that issue to me is like, I don't know, it's like really strong, 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 strong. Then you get 230, and, and I guess it's sort of a breath, right, of like, okay, we did all this stuff. The X-Men died. Uh, we just did the story, because I think 229 is the issue in which uh, Dazzler basically says farewell to that dude, that that guy from the Dazzler series is all very serious and heady material uh, and then we get to this thing with long shot I don't know I never really liked that issue in uh in classic Jeremy parlance it's a filler issue yes it, although it, I, I I'll be honest I don't I don't fully I just remember the end uh, I'd have to go back and revisit it well Honestly, yeah do you do you have a top five uh x-men stories I certainly don't I've never even thought of that oh shit well, uh, I mean, yeah. I'd, be, I'd probably pick like the classics. That's uh, the only thing I can think of. So here's what I, I would say is uh, certainly um, X-Men 205, right? So that's Barry Windsor Smith and uh, the Power Pack Girl and uh, Lady Deathstrike. That's a that's a top top five for sure. He's a Wolverine solo issue. Yep, and then the next one's going to be another Wolverine solo issue, X Men two fifty one, in which he's sitting on that uh, that cross and he's like baking out in the woods, and eventually he like pulls himself together, uh, and that's when he meets Jubilee, and they go off to do their adventures. They should make a T shirt of that cover. That that would be a T shirt that I would buy. It's a, it's a great issue. It's a great cover. Uh, and then from a solo issue perspective, boy, then it gets tough. Then I would probably just default to, uh, the X-Men's fall of the mutant story. Cause I think it is a really well-crafted story. The art is like, uh, Dan or Sylvester Green are at the top of their, um, their game. Chris Claremont's writing good stuff. You got freedom force. Now that's three issues. Is there a, is there a juggernaut in there somewhere? There's no juggernaut in that issue. No, in in one of your top fives. Um, if I just took Fall of the Mutants and I said, you know, that all three issues, and I cheat and I say that's just one issue, one <laughs> story, so that's like top three. I might actually go to like the first juggernaut story, which is like X Men number twelve, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's it's so well written yeah it's x-men number 12 in which it's basically the professor being like oh my god my brother's coming we got to set up all these traps he's really powerful i don't know if we're going to be able to make it everybody is and it's just this whole build up and then the juggernaut shows up and and then you're like yeah that's a that's a i like that issue a lot 
Uh, so I guess I'm up to four, five. What would I do for five? Uh, when they meet Frankenstein? Yes. Or yes. Dracula? Yes. No. No. I mean. An annual, probably? Uh, no, I know you really love annuals. I I do have a soft spot for X-Men annual number 10, which is where they turn into the, the first iteration of baby X-Men. Oh yeah, and they fun. and they meet Longshot. That's a good issue. And you got that awesome Art Adams art. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like how do you do a top five list of overall X Men and not have Days of Future Past? Yeah, that's tough. Uh, I'd so, have to I'd have to include that. So I don't know. There you go. That's that's like six ish issues there that I, or stories or whatever you want to call it that I I would have in my very <laughs> rushed thought of top fives. You, Adam. Oh, I I don't know. Days of Future Past, and I'd have to I'd have to just pick out whatever whatever ones the movies are based on. They'd probably all be Wolverine stories. Uh, I have no idea. I'd really have to think about it. And uh, there's also that really good uh, I think issue two hundred seven two hundred eight of the X Men fighting Nimrod and the Hellfire Club, and then the extra bonus of uh, Rachel kind of going off the rails. That's also a good one. As a as a kid, I really liked X Men issue four where they played basketball. Oh, I reread that a lot. The first post Claremont. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I just liked them playing basketball. Somehow that scene really resonated with me. I don't know why. I'd probably reread it to like in a couple months, and I'll be like, "Ugh, what was I thinking?" But maybe I'll still like it. And I think that's also when that stupid Psylocke Cyclops relationship thing started. Which I'm gonna. I'm wondering how that's gonna be. So Arnold Champion, he writes in probably on iTunes. I don't know where this one came from. Love the show, guys. Just finished episode thirty. Woof. I wonder if he's caught up or given up. <laughs> uh, got a ways to go still, but with two T's. My question: Merch? I don't know. We we never really talked about merch. Uh, yeah. I yeah. I mean, if you guys want it, I, we could do some sort of like a like a red bubble where. Where we don't have to do anything. <laughs> oh, he's – oh, my God. So uh, I'm just finishing this one. Uh, I hope it stays a running gag, but I need a It Doesn't Make Any Sense shirt. I'll even design one for you if you'd like. So that that's going way back. That's – that's. I think – is that – I think I say that a lot in the first 50 or so issues of the X-Men. Probably, yeah. Maybe we probably both say it, but uh, – I think I think it was mainly your thing. It doesn't. I can hear you in my head saying it. <laughs> it's been a while since we've had to say that uh, because, yeah. But anyways, uh, I'd love a shirt that says that too. Uh, I don't know. We've never really discussed merch. I feel like that's uh, a trap of like ordering a bunch of merch and just sitting in my basement. Well, right. So that's why we have to do it the Redbubble way, which is where we don't actually print anything. It's all by demand. Gotcha. But I think you make less money that way. I think you make less money that way, but you don't end up with a box full of T-shirts. Yeah. Well, I think you can go to Cafe Press and just make anything you want. So, uh, Jason, uh, I would like you to go to Cafe Press, and I'd like you to make a shirt for the Danger Room podcast that says it doesn't make any sense. Uh, Buy it, and then take a picture of yourself and send it in to us. But by the time you get to this episode, you'll probably have forgotten what we're talking about. Or we stopped saying it doesn't make any sense he's like i'm done with this stupid podcast <laughs> he doesn't even make it to this episode <laughs> no no and then jordan R- R- Rennells, Rennells, 
Apologies. Uh, hey, guys. Absolutely love the show. Thanks so much. I am an avid podcaster and podcast editor in the Tolkien world, but Marvel is probably my biggest love. I'm currently headed through the X-Men comics with you guys and the FF comics with the fantastic cast from the very beginning. It's been such a blast, and I can't wait to catch up in who knows how long. I feel like the fantastic cast is a much more known podcast than us. Oh. I I've and heard it, of it. And if they so, are, it's great to be in that company. I've heard of it, but I've also heard of our podcast. So, If you ever need any editing help, I'm around, but you clearly have it all handled. Thanks for the show. Yeah, yeah, buddy, you don't even know what you're signing up. I would send you all my stuff in a heartbeat and be like, edit this <laughs> and post it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, we, we have a we have a, a fairly decent process. The process is uh, Adam does a lot of editing, and I don't do any editing. Well, you you listen to things like in double speed, and then you make chops where. Oh, I used to. Do, I don't do that anymore. I used oh, to do that. Okay. Yeah, that used to be my my thing. I yeah, no, I just I, I cut the beginning, cut the end, just so that it's cohesively making sense. But Adam and I have been doing this for so long that you know we don't usually stop in the middle to, you know, cook dinner and leave the mic. <laughs> you know, like things that you're like, oh, I got to cut that out. Uh, well, you usually take notes while we're if, – if it's a show that you're going to edit, you take notes of things that you would need to edit out. No. I, which I don't do. I mean mental notes. Like, you don't do that anymore? No. Oh, okay. No. And for a while, whenever we'd like break or something, you'd like put a little note in here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't do that anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So hopefully it, – it'd be interesting if, if folks can – can find the Adam episodes versus the Jeremy episodes because in theory my episode should sound a lot more lazy. And yeah, you can you could probably tell it by uh ums and ahs. Uh, I try to cut out all the ums and the ahs. Nah, I love all that stuff. I mean, I know <laughs> or, from a- or the parts where we breathe in before we speak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll cut those out if I detect those in the beginning or the end but i sort of feel like if you if you've listened to two minutes of the podcast you're probably gonna to listen to the rest of it so there's no need for me to do any more editing that's a, that's an interesting line of thinking that's probably true <laughs> um but yeah the you know, as a broadcaster things you're not supposed to do are breathe in heavily say things like like number one um uh ah uh, and and we do that all the time. I do that all the time. To be fair, I don't do a lot of editing. I just do more than Jeremy does. <laughs> Bruce Glenn says, howdy, Danger Room crew. Just a quick reminder to you about Banshee getting his power back. He got that back in the classic storyline, The Retribution Affair from Marvel Comics Presents. Remember that? Do you remember that, Jeremy? I remember a Marvel Comics Presents Banshee story, but I don't remember. I think th- it was a Cyclops like eight parter. Yeah. And Banshee was in it. And I feel like he just said like, my powers are back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I've just been, you know, hanging out with Moira and my powers are back. Now he continues to say, not sure how you could have forgotten that masterpiece written by the guy who was such a writing genius. He thought it was okay to let Claremont, Claremont go. Bob Harris. Oh, Bob Harris. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go back to that uh, Marvel Comics Presents story, but... We never go back. It's it, it's a cardinal rule that yeah. we agreed on from the very beginning. We don't ever go back. Yeah, it's it's one of our uh, uh, ten- t- tenets of podcasting. It's is, more fun to flounder. 
Exactly. And just be like, do you remember? Or like, I, I can't remember. Mostly it's, I can't remember. Yeah. So if somebody wants to send in like, oh, no, no, there was a machine and medicine and this big thing that happened that Banshee got his powers back. I mean, please send that in so that we can correct ourselves. But my recollection is he was just kind of like, oh, I'm living here with Moira. It's great. My powers are back. Oh, Cyclops <laughs> needs something. All right, I'm off. It's all that nasty sex we've been having. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, we've been doing this podcast for, what, 10, over 10 years now. I wonder if there's, like, evidence of our cognitive decline. Like, if you were, like, a neurologist listening to this podcast, you're, like, taking notes, like, ooh, getting more forgetful. Mm, interesting. Mm, I think so. I feel like uh, towards uh, the beginning of the podcast, there was uh, Johnny on the spot encyclopedia uh, moments of like, well, this actually happened in this term. And nowadays we're just like, oh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want to have happened is probably what happened. Is that uh, loss of cog- cognitive ability or is that just lack of caring? Probably, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> Perfect. So our, our our podcast is just getting more apathetic. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's face it. We're not getting any more successful. So that's true. We're going to end up. The last episode is going to be like, here's an issue of the X-Men. Things happen. All right. My name's Jeremy. They fight. Podcast is over. I mean, because at the end of the day, isn't that what really every issue of an X-Men comic is, is they do stuff, they fight, and then it ends. Yeah, okay. pretty much. Well, boom. You don't need even need to listen to this podcast anymore. We've summarized literally every issue of the X-Men in a sentence. There you have it, folks. (laughs) (laughs) So if you'd like to chime in and and let us know how apathetic and cynical we've become, uh, do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, Twitter at Danger Room Go, email us dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com, or go out to iTunes or wherever you subscribe to podcasts to listen and junk. Our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld, and I forgot to mention that we're also at patreon.com slash dangerroom, where you can pick up on all of the, well, somewhat recent goings-on in the X-Men universe, but soon to be the X-Men Forever universe. We cover from House of X, Powers of X, up to the current, well, as of six months ago, Immortal X number one. Yeah, and then, like you said, we're switching off to X-Men Forever in the upcoming months, so look forward to that, all for the cost of a dollar. Yeah, and you can also listen to our witty conversations about pop culture things such as movies and television shows and uh, toys, mostly Star Wars and He-Man, let's be honest, and G.I. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, I mean, but, yeah, uh, lots of G.I. Joe. But uh, I've been, I've been, uh, I had been on a movie hiatus for a while, uh, but now I've been uh, ingesting lots and lots of movies. So Really? Oh, there's there'll be stuff in the tank to talk about as soon as we... We pick up on X-Men Forever. So if you want to hear in about four months what I'm talking about now, you can do that in four <laughs> months. And you'd be like, oh, awesome. They're talking about that Predator movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> or whatever it happens to be. Whatever it happens to be in exactly. four months. Exactly. Well, I mean, four months from whatever I've seen now, which is probably already two to six months old. Yeah. yeah. So in four months, we probably won't want to talk about that anymore. So it'll be very... Um, uh, timely. Unless you, unless you manage to not watch anything from now until then. That could be. That could be. Well, Adam, do you have anything else? I am uh, done. Done for. Done for today. Okay. Well, me done too. for this episode. 
Uh, well, uh, until next time, boy, you, you really threw me for a loop on that one. Sorry, off. Yeah, yeah. I should edit that part out, but I'm not going to. <laughs> so, until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed.